Welcome to lesson number five on tithes and offerings, and we've entitled this one, uh, The Four Parts of the Tithe. I have recently taught these four parts in Sunday morning services, but it's, it's such a valuable uh, truth, I wanted to write a whole lesson about it. I even taught this whole thing in Zimbabwe a few weeks ago uh, to bless them. The reason we've written these lessons is when we go to Africa a lot, probably the greatest request I get is lessons and curriculum on tithes and offerings, and I've never written anything on the subject until now. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I'll go ahead and do it, and we can get ready to go back to Zimbabwe and South Africa and, and see. So you guys are the guinea pigs. You're the test run, and that's how it always works at home. You guys, we test everything on you. If your hair falls out, we know it's a good message. <laughs> Worship just isn't limited to music and hymns, and we understand that. The giving of tithes and offerings are another way we can demonstrate our worship and faith toward God. And that's one of the big things I want us to get out of these lessons is that money is how we can worship God. We don't worship money, but we can use money to worship God. We don't live in an agricultural society like the Israelites did 2,500 years ago. We live in a, actually we're not even on a cash basis much anymore. We're going all digital. And so uh, we have to understand the principles behind tithing. Before they were agricultural, they traded, they bartered, and then coinage came into it and gold and gems. Uh, the, the U.S. used to be on the gold standard. and Even before that, it was in, in coinage that was gold and silver and it was minted. And then it went to the paper currency. And now, here in the end of times, we're moving towards a digital currency. You'll still be able to activate the principles of tithing even on a digital currency because tithing is of the heart. Even though there may be no goods exchanging hands, you'll be able to tithe a code of 0110110111 and it's a $20 tithe or whatever it is for you. If we get hung up on the fact, well, see, we don't have seeds and fruit anymore and we don't, I don't have any cattle or goats or chickens or cockatoos. If you get hung up on that, that's legalism. All of this is done to communicate the heart behind tithes and offerings. The book of Leviticus establishes God's view concerning the tithe, and we've covered this before, but it's review. Leviticus 27.30, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. We know that about any tithe. It's all the Lord's, 10% of it, and it's holy unto him. Money is a powerful tool, and we understand that. And these, these truths will be more and more probably stretched in text as we march towards a digital currency in the world. We can all see where it's going. Uh, you know, I can pay for things with my phone. My wife has the Apple Watch. She can pay things for things with her watch, which is, it's all digital. And you can totally understand where that would march towards the mark of the beast and, and shutting down your ability to buy, sell, or trade. But these truths stand uh, and they're self-evident and self-revealing that God is after our heart, whether we're buying things with chickens, whether we're buying things with ears of corn or we're buying things with cold hard cash or with our Apple watch swiping it at a kiosk, God wants our heart and that's how it's going to always be. We readily demonstrate where our heart is by where our money goes. We all understand that principle. Idolatry can take many forms. For many, idolatry can be money and uh, idolatry our money can be idolatry when you don't have any, and money can be your idol when you have a lot. And so it's not a matter of having too much or having too little. It's all about the heart condition. When you have next to nothing, you'll worship that nothing that you have because you don't have much. And then you can understand when you have billions, you could worship it. I, I don't understand billionaires being greedy. They're billionaires, but they got to be billionaires by sometimes being very greedy. And so it's a heart issue. 
The idolatry of money produces selfishness and greed. Even if you're on minimum wage, even if you're living below the poverty level, you can still be selfish and greedy. Hearts are hearts no matter whether you have a nickel in your pocket or whether you drove up in a jet airplane. Hearts are hearts. So we have to always judge our heart whether we make a lot of money or make next to no money. I remember when I was making six seventy-five an hour at Lowe's, a college graduate, barely could afford to do anything, and I was tithing because I had learned in college to not be a God thief, and I was tithing, and 10% on six seventy-five an hour when it doesn't go far anyway is hurtful on, on natural things. And I remember walking to the mailbox of my apartment, and the Lord spoke to me, and I'm, I'm just going to the mailbox to check my mail, and the Lord spoke to me and said, increase your giving to 10.5%. And I said, Lord, I can't even afford 10%. And that's all he said. But, and I was smart enough to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want. I trust you. And it wasn't probably a month later I got my first job in geology, and that was about a 30% raise. I'm glad I started giving a point extra 5% because then it, 30, I mean, 30% on a point five, that's a good increase. I mean, it, that 30%, that was only like nine and a half dollars an hour raise, but I mean, to, to that, but that was a lot better than the 675. And before I left that company, I was making, I think, 1250 or $13 an hour. That was 1999, 2000. And then left that company for another 25% raise. And then in the first year, I got another 25% raise. And so you just keep going up. Amen. Even if you got nothing, you trust God and you keep going up. If you're a God thief with nothing, you'll be a God thief with a billion dollars and therefore you'll always have nothing. Amen. For this reason, tithing is a wonderful way to combat the idolatry of the heart. It's a wonderful way. Tithing, God designed it that way. You, you, automatically, you automatically have to combat it. You automatically have to look at it. I, I, I remember being in college here and uh, was wishy-washy because, you know, college kids are very wishy-washy. They're kind of, you know, tossed to and fro. And I remember repenting in the service to never steal the tithe again. And so I never did. You can get to a place where tithing is such an elementary basic thing, you don't even argue about it anymore. It doesn't even cross your mind to steal the tithe. It's like brushing your teeth or putting gas in your car or actually eating. It's just what you do. To keep the tithe never even crosses your mind. It's, it's like murder. It doesn't even cross your mind. Stealing the tithe doesn't even cross your mind. Adultery doesn't even cross your mind. Robbing a bank doesn't even cross your mind. I don't know how some Christians robbing God on a regular basis is always a temptation. For me, in my house, it's no more a temptation than walking across the street here and robbing that bank. Because in the Bible, it's the same thing. Except when you rob the tithe, you had it to begin with, and, and you never return it to the Lord. That makes it embezzlement, <laughs> which is a worse crime, because you were trusted, and then you betrayed the trust. All right. God reveals some of his rules for tithing in the book of Deuteronomy, and it begins with destroying idols. And that's the big point I want to make here. Tithing is a way to help us destroy financial idolatry. But look at this very, this one of these first principles on tithing in Deuteronomy 12. The Lord says, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess served their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and up under every green tree. And you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And you shall hew down the graven images of their gods and shall destroy the names of them out of that place. 
This is how he begins a passage on tithes and offerings. Destroying idols. Destroying all these different places the pagans defied God and cursed their souls to hell. The worship of the true and living God begins with the denouncement and destruction of false gods and idols. And all idolatry is, is about self and convenience. You know, family can be an idol. Free time can be an idol. A hobby can be an idol. It's all about self. And that's why it's so easy and so tempting. Notice here, and this is something worth pointing out, the plurality of the idolatry. The passage mentions places, plural. Gods, plural. Mountains, plural. Hills, plural. Every green tree, that means a lot of them, plural. Altars, pillars, groves, images, and names. That's how flesh does. It, it knows no allegiance to any one thing. It just disseminates everywhere. If we're not careful, this, this is honestly what we deal with today with the modern church hopper. They go to churches. They, they, they don't tithe anywhere. They, they, it's the boredom thing. It's like a spiritual hoarder. Nothing makes you happy, so you spend your stuff on everything and have nothing. Amen. This stands in contrast to the God of Israel. He is but one God. And there is one body in the New Testament, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all. The Old Testament sets a pattern for proper tithing, and that's what we're looking at over and over again with these lessons. The pattern reveals that there are four parts to the tithe, the location, the confession, the worship, and the gift. And we, we're all familiar with the gift. That's the part that screams at us the most. 10%. Ah! The government already got 20%. You want me to give 10 more percent? No, God wants you to give 10% before the government gets his, 10, his 20. We're all familiar with the gift, and that really shows where our heart is. If the heart only sees the gift, then the heart is not as spiritual as it should be. But if the heart can see worship first, if it can see God's location first, if it understands the confession, the gift is nothing. It's the easiest part to do. For this reason, and I'm, I, I'm starting to see this more and more as I've studied these lessons and written them and prepared them, a lot of our tithing hasn't probably been as beneficial as it could have been because we had no worship involved in it. We, we weren't necessarily in the place the Lord wanted us to be. Now, there was a blessing to it because we were obeying as best we knew how. But as we know more and as we know better, we can put more faith behind it. We can truly engage the worship. Above all, the most critical thing to the tithe is the worship behind it. It isn't just a money transaction. And I think we make that point every Sunday around here when we teach on it. It's not just a money transaction. If we keep it money transaction, we keep it very carnal. Because all we're transacting is some coinage and paper. But the, the principle behind it is all about a heart of worship and faith and dedication and trust in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first part of the tithe because this is what's critical. This is what a lot of Christians need to get a hold of right now is the location. Location, location, location. The Lord makes a big emphasis on this. In contrast to the multiple places pagans practice their idolatry, God calls every believer to a specific and holy location at which to worship him. We get that, especially in the New Testament church. But under the Old Testament, it was just the same. While in the wilderness, Israel lived around the tabernacle. That's a singular location. Once established in the promised land, they worshiped at Shiloh. That's a singular location. And then finally, Solomon's temple. That's a singular location. 
We see this example and pattern over and over again in the scriptures. Psalms 1 teaches us to be like trees planted by rivers of living water. Even the New Testament teaches that God sets each of us in the body as it has pleased him. So we don't go hopping around. We're not church floozies or church tramps. We're not church frogs just hopping around from lily pad to lily pad. I've got a good friend right now. It's exactly what they're doing. I may come visit your church. Well, that's great, but put down roots somewhere and bless a pastor and be faithful and be committed. I don't, I mean, come hear me preach, sure. You may not like me after you hear me preach, but put down roots somewhere. I mean, you're probably not going to fit in with us, but you'll fit somewhere. Look at Deuteronomy 12, continuation of this passage about destroying idols and groves. He says, you shall not do so. You shall not do what? Don't destroy the place the Lord calls you and don't worship everywhere. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek. Notice he doesn't care about how convenient it is. He doesn't care if the people like you there or not. If everybody likes you there, then you can go to that church. If everybody's your BFF there, then you can go to that church. If you agree with everything going on there, you can go. No, the place I call my name for you, that's where you seek. Because that's where I've called you. It's a spiritual plug-in. It's not about emotional things. It's not about carnal things. Carnal Christians want to feel accepted everywhere they go. Carnal, sensual, immature. They want to feel like everybody's their BFF. That's, that's less than middle school. That's toddlers. If God's called me someplace, I don't care if nobody there ever says hi to me. I'm not there for them to say hi to me. I'm there because God called me there. Now, along the way, if I'm friendly, I might pick up some friends. If I'm not friendly, I'll never have friends. This is pretty elementary. I, mean, I, I was taught this in like kindergarten, first grade by my parents. You can't whine all the time and expect to have friends. You can't be emotional all the time and expect to have friends. You can't be immature and expect mature people want to be friends with you. He said, I called my name there. That's where you seek. Get there. Amen. It's a spiritual responsibility. And there thou shalt come. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your heave offerings or contribution of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. He says, I call you to this place, location, 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 and that's where you're going to serve me. That's where you're going to be blessed at. He didn't establish a thousand Solomon temples all over Israel and you can just pick the easiest church for you. Honestly, the market-driven church has ruined the Christian principle because the market church, market-driven church says, there's folks that don't like a high standard. If we reduce the standard and market our church that way, we can pick up all the non-customers. It's like, I mean, you have Kmart, which is a lower economic thing. Then you have Walmart, which is middle. Then you have Target. Target, which puts a target on the back of your little girl's. Walmart says, well, you know, we're going to get folks Target won't get. And Target says, we get folks that don't want the stuff Walmart has. Churches are not designed to be market-driven. They're all designed to preach the same standard, the same message. But we understand this. God says, I got one place, and you're supposed to be there. And I don't care if you're coming from Dan, which is way to the north, or you come from Beersheba, which is way to the south. That's where you come. And I don't care about how convenient or inconvenient it is for you. Well, we just like this church. It's just convenient. You're out of the will of God. Well, it's just so far a drive, you're out of the will of God. The kingdom of self where you rule supreme, the kingdom of convenience, the kingdom of carnality, the kingdom of flesh where it's all about me. That's why the church is the way it is. Flesh has crept in. 
12, 11, 8, and then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you. Is that one place that you're called, that one place God assigned you, that's where you make your decisions. That's where you live your life around it. It blessed Israel. It's the same principle holding true today. God has placed his name at a habitation for every believer. In the New Testament, these habitations are called churches, and we understand this. The church at Ephesus, the church at Sincrea, the church at Philippi, the church at Jerusalem, etc. It is our duty to find out or to find where he has called us and remain faithful there, tithing, worshiping, and building his kingdom from that habitation. We are not to have multiple shrines, temples, or groves like the Canaanites and the Egyptians did. Yes, I understand we can worship God anywhere we go. We can worship God in the hotel, in the airplane, in the mountains. But there's, there's a temple, there's a house, a habitation that he calls us to. And that's where we, we're faithful. That's, that's where our GPS automatically takes us back to again and again and again. You know, I get to travel all over the world. I always come back home. And when I'm not here, I'm going to my pastor's church to be refueled. It, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's just, I'm not confused. I'm not confused where God has called me. That may be most Christians' testimony. I, they're confused as to where they're supposed to be. I'm not confused where I live every night. And I'm not confused where I serve God. And I'm not confused who my pastor is. Amen. Yeah. Yes, we can worship God anywhere. And we should worship him everywhere we go. But the importance of a singular location is faithfulness and commitment. Also, Church hopping is not beneficial to building the kingdom. I understand visiting and being out of town. I understand that and going on vacation and going home for Christmas and going to a family church. I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we all, I think, know these Christians that spend two weeks at this church and three weeks there and, and they put down roots here for six months. I can't tell you how many folks we've had come through and we put them through Christianity 101. They're faithful for three months. And then after three more months, they're gone. And where are you at now? And you think your life's going to be blessed? You never put down roots deep enough. So you're just pygmy, stunted all your life. Deuteronomy 12, take heed to yourself that thou offer not your burnt offerings, which is a symbol of consecration and commitment. Don't offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. You don't give your money everywhere you go. You don't give your time everywhere you go. There's one place that needs to harness you. But in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command thee. There. You got to find out where there is for you. Now, this is mostly home, folks. I know Miss Shannon's visiting from Kentucky. That's her home. But we're friends with Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Marty and all of them. But you got to figure out where your there is. Because there is where you will be blessed. The Lord plants you there. Because the, the soil has the nutrients you need. You know, when you plant a tree, the tree doesn't say, I don't get along with the tree next to me. The tree doesn't care. I don't like the grass around me. The tree doesn't care. The tree just says, does the soil have what I need to exist? When, since when do trees argue about being next to each other? He keeps dropping acorns on me. He keeps dropping hickory nuts. Keeps dropping sweet gums. Grow up. His his limbs touch my limbs. It's because you're both growing up big together. If you don't stop, I'm going to cut you both down. <laughs> Trees don't care. They just, want the, they just want the nutrients. They want the minerals. They want the water in the soil. I don't get it. it just... 
Dr. Barkley was hammering on baby Christians this week, and he was just talking about sucking your thumb and, and knowing when your britches are full. Oh, it's exhausting. Right now, Abigail, she's two and a half, and she's a very particular kid. And two-year-olds are supposed to be particular anyway. When one thing is out of her sequence, she falls apart. If mommy gets her in the morning and not daddy, she falls apart. If she gets this in, and before this in the sequence of breakfast, she falls apart. She walks into a room, she can spot anything that's new or out of place. It's just, it's two and a half year old. And she cries over everything. Because it's not just, and we're going to slowly grow her up out of that. Because it's two year old and it's acceptable right now. But thank God Almighty, Lydia's not that way at five. And some of you are that way at 45. You had to know that was going somewhere. And Dr. Barkley walked around and said, nom, nom. You want some? Um, no. You want some of my thumb? Let's grow up. Change your own diaper. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to this verse here. We must make sure that our life and devotion revolves around the place God has called us. A modern idol is anything we consecrate our time, money, and life to in place of our necessary consecration to Jesus Christ. Anything can be an idol. We don't worship a Buddha statue. We don't worship some idol in, you know, Vishnu or Shiva or Brahma or any of those pagan Hindu gods, but we can worship a hobby, we can worship a kid, we can worship a situation, we can worship our feelings, we can worship our uh, hurt. It's anything that's getting our time and energy when Jesus Christ should have gotten it in the first place. Deuteronomy 26, 2, that, that thou shalt take of the first of all thy fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy, of thy land, that the Lord, God thy, uh, the Lord thy God giveth thee, this King James, ugh, and shall put it in a basket and shall go into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. Here again, is a, this is about the fourth or fifth witness we have that you worship and tithe where God places his name for you. Put it in a basket. That's why we like to do baskets. Uh, you, you put it in a basket. There's nothing wrong with a bucket or an offering plate. We like to do baskets, but on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights. Here's another witness. You go to the place God called you. If God's got your name on roll there, then he's expecting you to be there. That means you're enrolled in that class. And by not being there, you automatically fail. That's how college works. By not being there, they expect you to be there, you automatically fail. You could have been in another class, but you weren't enrolled in that class. And you could have taken all the tests and you could have learned all the information, but you get no college credit for the class you weren't enrolled in. And here's the, here's the tough answer or the tough problem. God enrolls you. You don't enroll yourself. So you have to figure out where he's enrolled you and learn to love it and develop a heart for it. Amen. You guys know I never chose to pastor this church. And I made the joke with Dr. Barclay this week. I said, well, Pastor Vaughn asked me to pastor the church and he died and he's never told me to stop so I'm, I'm still here <laughs> God is very clear on this point he wants us to be committed to a single place of worship it is there we serve God and pay our tithes so that's the first thing location location the confession it's important to remember that much of what we do as Christians in this kingdom requires the fruit of our lips you can't sit quiet in this kingdom Unless you're a mute, then we'll pray. And God healed mutes all the time in the Gospels. 
Amen. And even if you're a mute, your heart ought to be screaming and your hands ought to be lifted up. And you ought to be going like Mach 9 with some sign language. Amen. You're communicating. From prayer to preaching to repentance to worship to casting out demons, our service toward God almost always involves our mouth speaking. And tithing is no exception. The second part of the tithe involves a confession over the tithe. And that's why every Sunday I say this should be a noisy part of our service. If we're doing this right, we ought to be speaking over our money, thanking God for it, speaking to our business, speaking to tuition, speaking to the mortgage, speaking to the airplane need for the missionary trip that we're going to take, whatever the deal is. Confession is a declaration of faith over the gift you're presenting to the Lord. If we're not speaking over this money, it's no different than Walmart money. It's just a check. To, to the bank. It's just a check to the mortgage. It's just a check to the car payment. It's just a check to the light company. If, I mean, you don't take the check to the, we have, we're on the Bangham Utility District out there. Oh, Bangham, we're so thankful that you provided water, gas, and electric. Oh, thank you. And we just exchange this $250 check for another month of your supply. You don't do that because they'd arrest you for being nuts. But we're to do that with money for God. Lord, you've been so good. You've provided life, oxygen, food, uh, income, a family, uh, a church. And Lord, I, here's your tithe. I present it to you. Thank you for another month of life and provision and joy and help. Amen. <laughs> confession is a declaration over the gift you're presenting to the Lord. The confession consecrates the tithe to the Lord and sanctifies the gift. Confession makes tithing a holy experience. If we're, not, if we're not confessing, again, it's just, a, just another money transaction. Deuteronomy 26.3, And you shall go unto the priest that shall be in those days and shall say unto him, this is in the act of giving the first fruits offering, and then it goes in to talk about the tithe. You will say unto him, so here's, you're, you're confessing something to the high priest. I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come into the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. Here's our first example of speaking a confession or profession to the high priest over the offering the confession over the offerings were made to the priest and to the lord 26 5 says and thou shalt speak and say before the lord thy god these typos thee they thy Ooh, king james 26 12a and 13a when thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase the third year thou shalt say before the lord thy god notice over and over again you're tithing and you're saying you're tithing and you're saying. If you don't have anything else to say, you just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the money. Thank you that we live as the top 1% of the world. Pastor Gary Brown from Ireland taught us. He said, if you live at $25,000 a year, if that's your income, you're the top 95% of the world. And he said, if you're at 30,000 30, a year income, you are the top 1% of the world income. And you don't live in Syria under ISIS, so you got nothing to bellyache or complain about. Amen. I just saw, I, I, I follow the ISIS stuff almost to where my stomach can't handle it. Some people were talking about Iraq defeating some of ISIS, and they overheard them. They took metal wire and, and sewed their mouths shut. You and I live in Cookville or the South. I really don't get why we complain about anything except that we're immature. Amen. Do 
you know what they're doing to children in ISIS territory? Their kid, this is the one I read yesterday that just so disgusted me. I'm going to share it with you so you'll grow up. ISIS is now kidnapping children 5 to 12 to harvest their organs to sell on the black market. And you're complaining about what? They're kidnapping children in their territory, 5 to 12 years old, to harvest their organs while they're alive to sell to the Turkish black market for organs. And what are we complaining about? I don't have the iPhone update. Nobody likes me at my church. It's so hard to be here. Grow up. It's so petty, it's pathetic. <laughs> I, th I got a five. Oh, she'll be five in December. I look at that. I start thinking murderous thoughts. That kind of wickedness. And then I say, I well, it won't come nigh me. Lord, thank you for everything you give me. Thank you for everything you do give me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for letting me live where I live and have the blessings that I have. I won't complain about anything, Lord. Nothing. The offerings, confessions prescribed in Deuteronomy 26, 3 through 10 and 13 through 15 include these following points. And these lay out a model, a role model of how we confess and what we confess and what our heart should be every time we give to the Lord. Uh, these are some quotes and some kind of modern translations or modern equivalents. I have come into the land promised to my fathers. I'm in the will of God now. Hallelujah. Assyrian ready to perish was my father. I came from nothing. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, he heard our voice. I cried unto God and he heard me. These are what they were told to, to confess every time they came and brought an offering to the house of God. This was their confession or the heart of what their confession should have been. And if you see, it's a reminder of where they've been. So they don't forget that God has always been faithful to them. And when you don't forget God's been faithful to you, you won't ever complain. Because it may be a little crummy right now, but it's not ISIS, sew your mouth shut with metal wire and kidnap your kid and harvest their kidneys. Miserable. It's petty. I know it's big to us in the moment, but everything's relative. So we zoom out and see, well, that's not so bad. But if you can keep this confession of faith of I was a pagan, I was on my way to hell, God saved me, he redeemed me, I can look back and see his hand upon me my whole life and then it brings me to today and I'm in the will of God now, I'm in the house of God, I have on clothes, I have food in my stomach and I have something extra to give, I am blessed. Top 1% of the world. Never been good at anything, but I'm top 1% of the world. Amen. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God delivered me in a glorious fashion. We've all got deliverance testimonies. He has given us this land, even a land that flows with milk and honey. God has prospered me in my new life. Amen. Now I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou hast given me. I give you the first portion of the increase you've given to me. Here it is, Lord. Give it to you first. You get, you get it before anybody else gets it. I have brought away the holy thing from my house and obeyed you with it. That's the confession from 13 through 15. That says, look, Lord, I, I'm not keeping the tithe in my house. I'm not keeping it. It's not going to curse me like it did Achan in the book of Joshua. I've brought the tithe into your house. Look, 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 look. I have not tithed sorrowfully, nor have I kept back any of it, nor have I wasted it on anything dead, but I have obeyed you with the tithe. There's something supernatural about the tithe. When you keep it to spend it on yourself, it curses everything in your household. Nothing works. But you take it out as holy and you give it to God as holy and he, he energizes and he supernaturally anoints everything you've got left. And all you have to do is just rob God a handful of times and then tithe a handful of times and see the difference. Which of these works, which of these doesn't? 
Bless my family. He, and that's what they said. Bless your people now. They commanded the Lord. Look, we're tithers. Bless your people. Bless my family, your people now, because of our obedience in the tithe. It gives you permission to command the blessing of God upon your household, upon a nation. Even when the Lord, Lord has given you something rich, he said, they, the verse says, bless now your people in the land that you have given them, the land that flows with milk and honey. You've given me this awesome job, Lord. Bless me even more in this awesome job because I'm tithing. Amen. It should be apparent that these verses serve as a model for our offertory confession, just as the Lord's prayer is meant to be a model prayer for us. Today, Jesus is our high priest. We make our confession to him. So this answers, well, why don't we make a confession to you, pastor? I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. Jesus Christ is our high priest. So we, that's why we do it loud. We come down the aisle. Lord Jesus, you're the, the apostle and high priest of my confession. Uh, verse, Hebrews 3.1 says that. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. That is a reference to this confession back over the offerings in Deuteronomy. That's pretty interesting. The high priest of our confession, what did you confess to the high priest? All about your offering. So we should still be doing this today, confessing to the Lord as we give. We're not giving fruits and vegetables, not generally speaking, but we are giving cash. We're giving gift cards. People give all sorts of stuff in these offerings. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. What's the profession? I was lost, now I'm found. God has blessed me, he's prospered me. I'm in the will of God. He's brought me into the the promised land for my life. And here now look at the tithe and the offering I have to give to him. You have a high priest in heaven, so you hold fast the profession. It should happen every time we're giving. You know, even if you're, like we were at Dr. Barclays this week, we gave in every offering. We went up to put the basket. I'm speaking on the way up there. Lord, I thank you. I call Dr. Barclay, bless you. You've been good to me. You've been good to him. Amen. You know, we, we have a little bit more time to do it in here, the way our services are organized. But you ought to be making that confession, even if not here at home. It's happening at some point in your life. The worship, we got to move. The Bible teaches that tithing is worship. We've still got two pages left, and i got seven minutes. I can do it. Amen. These are very wordy lessons simply because I know they're going to Africa, and I won't be there to expound upon them. Worship is an act of the heart demonstrating thankfulness, reverence, and obedience toward God. That's worship. Without worship being tied to our giving, there will be no distinction between giving money to God and giving money to the grocery store. Deuteronomy 26, thou shalt set it, the gift before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. Notice the gift and worship go together. You worship God during tithes and offerings. And thou shalt rejoice. It means you're happy about it. I don't see how you can possibly be born again in the house of God and be sad every service of your life. Now, I understand we have good seasons, and then we have sorrowful seasons. I understand that. It's biblical. But every season of your life, every service in a year, 150 services, and you're sorrowful, you might need deliverance or a good psychiatric treatment dose. Sometimes I think God needs help, and you should just go to the shrink. They can help shrink your problems. <laughs> Maybe you can handle them. Without worship being tied to our giving, there's no difference. The worship time should also include rejoicing. Tithes and offerings are meant to be a time of rejoicing, not a time of sorrow. And the New Testament says that. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful, a laughing, joyful giver. 
He loves a cheerful giver. That's what he loves. Cheerful giving. God loves cheerful giving and the cheerful giver. Giving with a joyful attitude is critical if you want God to accept you and your offering. We saw that in the first lesson, or the second lesson. No, it was the first lesson about the first offering, which was Cain's offering, Cain and Abel, and he had a bad attitude. And the Bible says, and God rejected Cain. Did you know that your attitude causes God to reject you too? One of the reasons you might not have friends is because God himself is rejecting you over your attitude. (laughs) And if God is resisting you, everybody's going to obey God. So you got to change your attitude. If you don't change your attitude, how will your life go anywhere? So this joyful, happy, I mean, you and I, we don't want to be around a sourpuss. We don't want to be around the curmudgeon. We don't want to be around the jerk. We don't want to be around somebody who's always going to be hostile or fall apart on us. That's exhausting. And we know from Genesis 4, God didn't want to be around Cain because he had a bad attitude. It says, and unto Cain and his offering, Cain and his offering, he had no respect. He rejected him. So we got to change this attitude and be excited. Tithes and offerings are meant to be a time of rejoicing. Next section there, Deuteronomy 12. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and your heave offerings, and your vows, and your free offerings, and the firstlings of your herds, and of your flocks. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters. Notice that you get the whole family involved. That's what I love. We've been doing this. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. But I love seeing the families come down front here together, children. And they, you know, every, all, you know the bigger the family, the more room they take up, and they take a moment and pray over their offering. It's so cool to see we were doing it, not even realize we were being biblical, but it was cool. It's been, it's been encouraging to see anyway. But notice it says you shall rejoice. Even if you're upset about everything else in your world because you know you're living as bad as the Syrians in Aleppo, at least when it comes time to offer, you can obey this and say, hallelujah, I got money and I'm not a refugee drowning babies across the Mediterranean. Folks, we're spoiled, pathetically spoiled. We have to resist the brat attitude. Amen. We have to, have to, have to. We are blessed. It's also our responsibility to teach our children that tithes and offerings are a joyous time. It's a joyous time. It's not a sorrowful time to consider how much we are losing. The tithe reminds us of how much God did bring to us. If you're holding 10% in your hand, it's 100 bucks. He brought 1,000. It's a reflection. If, you're, if you got a $500 tie, that means he brought you $5,000. If it's a $10 tie, that means he, he brought you $100. It should remind you that he's been faithful. It's all about the attitude. The gift, almost done. You guys are doing good. We're covering a lot. The gift. You give with your heart, then your mouth, then your hand. Remember that God doesn't need anything we have, but what he does want is our heart. The gift is often the first thing we think about when giving, but this pattern reveals that it should be the last thing we think about. Everything we're thinking about is God's goodness, his faithfulness. I understand you have to think about it to write the check or to set the money aside, but I'm talking about the whole experience, the whole practice of tithing. The gift is the very last thing. You make sure the location is right, and then you make sure you've got the worship and the confession going, and then you present that gift. 
After confirming the location to the tithe, to tithe, making confession with our mouth and worshiping with our heart, then and only then is the tithe presented to God. God has given us these tithing laws to help us, uh, to help us keeping, keep tithing a holy and spiritual transaction. That's why we have these, these steps, these processes. Without the first three parts of the tithe, location, confession, worship, there would be nothing to distinguish our tithe from a utility bill. And hopefully we're catching that on with this lesson. We're learning that. The actual tithe isn't limited to money. Somebody asked me to kind of explain this. Tithe isn't just limited to cash. We just happen to mostly tithe cash because that's our, that's our basis of economy. Now, obviously, we operate under a different economic system than the Israelites did, but the principles of tithing remain the same. We kind of covered that in the beginning. Even if we go all digital, which most people are, we're tracking there very quickly. I mean, most of us use credit cards more than anything anymore, and it's only a matter of time before they do get all of our credit cards onto our smartphone or a smartwatch. It's only a matter of time. I mean, there's most places you can go now, you can do all your transactions on your watch. It's just the way it is. I have my credit card tied into my phone to my Apple Pay, and I can double tap my thing, and I can, I, can do my, I can pay with my phone now on my credit card. Even if we get there, and I think we will, because it's the way the end times are headed. It's not the mark of the beast, so don't be worried about it. You'll still be able to tithe because tithing is of the heart. And even if the church goes digital, we'll still need your digits to buy an airplane ticket with digits to go to Africa to preach the gospel. And there they'll be using counterfeit $2 bills. <laughs> so uh, tithing is done on any increase the Lord brings to you. Consider the following points. Tithing is done on the gross of a paycheck. Before tax is not after. Before. Tithing can be done on produce from the field or the herd. We've had folks tithe deer meat to us, cattle or beef to us. You know, they tithe to my wife and I because there's nothing the church can really do with deer meat. We have actually distributed it before. We don't have a food pantry. Folks tithe on fruits and vegetables to my wife and I all the time because there's nothing the church can really do with it. I had somebody tithe, I've had some people tithe a gun to me before. They inherited a bunch of guns. They wanted to tithe on it. They tithe a shotgun to me, which was you know, that's a blessing. Somebody inherited a whole bunch of silver dollars. They tithe on the silver dollars. Those things sit in the church safe until the price of silver goes up and we get more out of the tithe than the tithe is worth right now because it's fluctuating. Uh, you can tithe on anything the Lord gives you. Tithing can be done on products or materials. We did, I did a project years ago in um, Astana, Kazakhstan. I did the work. I didn't get to go to Kazakhstan. My buddy did, my partner and uh, he worked, we were doing the U.S. Embassy in Kazakhstan, the new embassy in Astana. They moved the capital from one place to another place in Kazakhstan. And so the drillers he worked with, they were talking about coming through the Cold War era and, and the collapse of the Russian economy in Kazakhstan. And he said, there was a time nobody had any money. He said, but we're the only drilling company in this part of uh, Kazakhstan because we bartered. And he said, well, what'd you barter? He said, we once did a job for a tractor trailer load full of spaghetti noodles. And we took that and exchanged that for money and exchanged that for um, vodka that we then sold and we converted it. And th this is in the 1990s and into the 2000s because we did that project in 2005. So e even there, there's a tithe to be had. If that guy's a driller and he's a Christian and he's getting paid in tractor trailer loads of spaghetti noodles, he can take that and convert it. He could take it and tithe on it. The pastor could convert it. I mean, there's, the heart is the same. It doesn't matter whether we're selling puka shells as a coinage or we're selling pences or denarii or we're selling a bag of frogs is worth two cows, which is worth, 
a woman in the bush of Africa, I don't know, there's a conversion rate and you can get it to the house of God. I think we understand that. Products or materials. We've had folks tithe on their time because they were a contractor. They said, look, I'll, I'll give you. And that can be an offering as well. I'll give you of my time as a professional. Tithing can be done on gift cards or gift certificates. My wife and I personally do this. Every gift card and gift certificate we receive as a gift, not that we buy ourselves, but we receive as a gift, we take cash and we tithe on it. If, we get a, if, you, if you were to get us a $50 gift card for El Tapatio, we'll tithe five bucks on that. That's what we do. Our girls do it the same. Every, everybody in my house ties on everything we get as best as we can figure out. I don't know how to tithe on a shotgun. I suppose I could sell it and then take 10% of that and tithe on that. But I think the Lord just wanted me to have that shotgun. So I might take some cash out of my pocket and put it in the offering. I mean, you can, we know the Pharisees got down to where they were tithing on mint and cumin and anise, McCormick's spices. And Jesus said, this you ought to do. So that's how as much of a stickler he is for the tithe because it's about the heart. And if your heart compels you to tithe on mint, cumin, and anise, well, feel free to do it. We'll figure out something. There's all sorts of weird trinkets in our safe that I don't know what to do with, but it's holy because somebody gave it unto the Lord. Somebody tied the toboggan one time. I said, you know what? I'm going to take this to Iceland and give it to an Icelandic person. And I get up there and I'm like, they don't need toboggans. They're Icelandic people. They're not poor either. It's not like going to Africa and you need to give them a pair of shoes. So the toboggan came back. It still sits in a drawer. We're going to do something with that tithe of a toboggan because it's holy unto the Lord. Even if an economy is based on bartering, the tithe would be on the profit made from the barter, whether it be a tithe of beaver pelts, bags of corn, gunpowder, gallons of diesel, etc. The heart is what we have to catch behind all of this. The heart of tithing is to give God what is his to worship the Lord with substance and avoid idolatry and avarice. Avarice is just the greed of money. To be reminded of how much he has provided. If I give away 50 pounds of spaghetti noodles, that means he's brought me 500 pounds of spaghetti noodles, and it's a testimony. Sometimes we forget. To supply the natural needs of the gospel ministry. That's what we do with the tithe. When you understand the heart behind tithing, the whole practice becomes a no-brainer. Amen. Trust you've learned something this morning. That's a lot to cover there. Please do not feel sorry for yourself. You do not live in Syria and you're not losing your children to kidnapping for black market organ sales. Nor are they, uh, they killed a bunch of, they just executed a bunch of folks with welding tools. Just fire up the welding tools and just start perforating human flesh till you kill them. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. No more self-pity. It disgusts God. Amen. Father, bless this lesson as it goes forth in the future. We thank you for letting us be tithers and givers. We love you, Lord. Bless this Sunday school class in Jesus' name. Amen.